Hello, you are listening to the first episode of Soft Fork, a brand new podcast. My name is Sequoia. And my name is Ben. And thank you so much, dear listeners, for being here today. Um, I think I'll just start out by saying a few words about the premise, I guess, what what this show is, what what we want what this show to be. Here. I mean, like, we don't have a super, you know, this is an amateur DIY <laughs> project so it can take many forms but i think we were kind of interested in the idea that you can get at really big ideas with really small things really everyday objects everyday objects like you don't you know sometimes when you're like looking out at the world and like trying to have a deep thought and you're looking around and like just being overstimulated by everything it's hard to start it's really hard to start but Sometimes, like, when you have a writer's block or a roadblock... You just have to focus in on one You just have to find one thing. Yeah. One thing. And our thing today is forks. Forks. (laughs) We we spent a long time discussing which objects to do. And, I don't know, forks felt good. Forks felt right. I feel like there's there's a lot to say about forks, but still, every day. And the one thing I do have to address before we dive into this topic is our namesake soft fork you may be wondering why is this called soft fork (laughs) (laughs) and yet it is is singular it's not plural just one soft soft we we decided that soft fork sounded a bit weird a little too sensual too sensual too sensual (laughs) soft forks (laughs) okay so if you are a podcast listener maybe you've heard something similar um, there's this awesome tech podcast, which started like just over a year ago at the New York Times called Hard Fork. <laughs> we, were, we were discussing which one sounded more like an innuendo. Definitely Hard Fork. Hard Fork. Yeah, yeah. We're like, oh, does Soft Fork sound too weird? Like Flaccid Fork? And then I'm like, it's there's we, literally a podcast called Hard Fork. It's good we didn't go with Flaccid Fork. Yeah, yeah. I've done as well. Anyway, so, um... It's a great podcast, honestly. I listen to it a lot. They talk about, they do a lot of like tech, uh, tech stuff like social media, big big tech, Google, crypto, AI, a lot of AI stuff. Oh my god. Anyways, and they're on the very first intro episode. They have a definition of what a hard fork is. Quote: A hard fork is a programming term for when you're building something that gets really screwed up. So you take the entire thing, break it. And start over. End quote. Really, I mean, that's that's a great metaphor, you know? Yeah. Um, that was their whole thing about the, the tech world. And they were like, oh, we're, we're at such a pivotal moment. We're not necessarily at a pivotal moment with our ordinary objects. I don't think so. But who knows? We could we could change the way you see forks But maybe we, could, maybe we could. Maybe we're doing something radical. You don't even know. You don't know yet. You'll you just have to listen. You don't know yet. Yeah. Anyway, so... Um, yeah, we're starting with forks at eight. And my first fork topic for you is possibly the most important fork appearance in cinematic history. It's a bold thing to say. I know, which is, which might, okay, this might be an um, unsubstantiated claim because Mm. you have not seen this movie. I haven't, but to be fair, it is a very notable movie. Why would you say that? Think, she's a redhead. I think that'll, that'll do redhead it. Redhead rights. Normally, when I say I haven't seen this movie, people give me a very shocked look. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I think this is a, a very classic movie to see. It is good. Um, so if you didn't have the movie in your head already, it is The Little Mermaid, which I always, ugh, I always think is called Ariel, but it's not. It's so. called The Little Mermaid. Anyways, there's this scene in it where um so if i remember okay honestly i haven't seen this movie in a long time but i think ariel who's a mermaid like collects human objects that were preserved from the shipwreck and then she has like a little um um underwater storage area a little treasure chest because she yeah. wants to be a human right that's her she whole thing. 
I think she's curious. Ooh, that's kind of a deep question, actually. Does she want to be a human? No, but um, I think that she, like, catches a glimpse of Eric. His name's Eric, right? Oh, God, I don't Prin- know. Prince Eric. Prince Eric. Sounds right. Yeah, she's like, sure. oh, my God, a beautiful white man. Anyway, so she's like... I she... thought the same. <laughs> For what? Uh, Prince Eric. Good mirror. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was you all along. Uh, um, anyway, she catches a glimpse of this, like, beautiful, like, shining prince. And then she's, like, obsessed with him. Maybe she, but maybe deep down she just wants to be a human. Who knows? She does sing the song, Part of, Want to Be Part of Your World. Right. I think in general, I mean, you see a a different way of living so different than you. Actually, I don't know that it's true, but in in Disney movies, at least, you see a a life that's so different. It's like, it's brand new and it's exciting and I want to live that life. Well, yeah, I feel like The Little Mermaid exemplifies that perfectly. But I did have a lot of, like... (sighs) questions that feel really evil to ask which is like evil evil well kind of like okay actually let me just let me like circle back to my original example so the fork she finds this perfectly preserved fork and it's like really shiny maybe it has like a little bend to it anyways and then she brings it up and she shows scully i think the seagull's name is he's this like dorky little like seagull really like anyways very dorky and he's like oh and and they call it like the dingle hopper because they don't the know what hopper. it is. They don't know what it is. Like, they they don't know how to use this because it's, like, a human object. And they're, like, they're, a, they're mermaids. Like, they live in a completely different civilization. But at the same time, their civilization is so human-like. And I'm like, how, how do you not know what a fork is? Can I ask? Yeah. This is not important, but just the, the only thing I know about the movie is what you've just told me. Yeah. Is the fork rusty? No, it's perfectly, it's, it's totally it's been shiny. underwater for, like, years has it yeah and it has arrested you know i don't listen neither of us are scientists no so maybe it actually could have really been preserved maybe Maybe. depending on the type of metal i feel like a movie about mermaids isn't the most based in science maybe good point but also do you think that they hired scientists because sometimes they actually do for like history for like accuracy and stuff as far as I know, pretty accurate as far as physics and yeah. aerospace goes. A lot of, at least, uh, the the depictions of black holes yeah. and, and all the calculations and whatever went into it was backed by scientists. They hire scientists yeah. to. Well, uh, I remember that's that time. That's something to fact check. I'm not gonna rely on that. I remember when they when they they took the paper and then they skewered the pencil through it, yeah. and I was like, everything makes sense. Even though, I mean. <laughs> It didn't really, but in my head I was like, whoa, I've never thought about space time like that. Well, I watched it with an aerospace engineer, so I got like the oh, full breakdown of it. Um, but, this, okay, yeah. back to Little Mermaid quickly. Hmm. Interesting idea with with anthropology in general and looking at different communities and how they use tools. Yes. Because um, we did a whole study on, on tools of different societies and mm-hmm, cultures, mm-hmm. and we found that most of the common tools in in our civilization has been invented in a keep in mind like drastically different way but there is a tool out there with a similar purpose in in most of the communities that have been surveyed mm. to this regard and that was that was the big thing in um there's a controversial exhibit in new york um a few probably 30 or 40 years ago um and we've talked about this before but the the issue with the exhibit is they they categorize things by how they look not mm-hmm. how they were actually yes. used for they guessed everything that had was this true. the picasso exhibit that you're talking about um not it wasn't picasso but someone who followed up picasso that that the similar criticism came to oh was, really okay. um oh, i can't remember her name but she she held this exhibit and anything that looked like a fork she basically said this is a fork in a different culture really so horribly inaccurate and things that that looked like our forks would actually be used for something completely different um, and that was that was the issues where we're spreading our idea of tools onto other tools without knowing their actual purpose. We're just assuming based on our ground. It's like, oh, look at these more like archaic or primitive tools. Yeah. But in reality, they're used for different things. And we odds are most of the time we have a tool for that as well. But they just look different. We found different ways to do the same things. Yeah. So to tie it back, I find it hard to believe that mermaids wouldn't have a fork of some kind. I, it wouldn't look the same. But, like, they would have something, right? Doesn't that go against the point that you're making, though? Which is that, like, an object could have a completely 
radically different meaning and right. function and use in society and that it is actually important to do like anthropological studies to like understand what that is well, rather than just look at aesthetically that's the thing is i don't think their fork their thing they would use as a fork as mm. an eating utensil would necessarily have to look like a fork but also right. but they would have something for piercing and chewing mm. at the same time correct me if i'm wrong ariel's dad has a trident. trident which is just a big old that's fork. an amazing point just a big fork but that said you don't eat with a trident no but what did you look at a fork and go this is a really small trident yes so maybe maybe that's what they would have thought because that's like the closest object that they had to a fork like thing but you know what scuttle does he goes, it's a dingle hopper, and he twirls it in his hair, and it gets stuck in his hair, and he uses it as, like, a comb, and then Ariel tries it, and then it gets stuck in her, like, mane of hair. Right. That's what they do. I just, I feel like there's so many things similar to forks that they wouldn't just assume it's a new thing. They'd be like, because she, she has a comb, right? You just. She does have a comb. And I feel like you'd be like, wow, this, this comb has a handle on it. That's weird. Or you, you would be like, this trident is really small. Or whatever other fork-like things there are. I feel like it's it's a it's a jump to say this is a brand new thing because it's slightly different. So you think okay, this is I mean this is something I wanted to ask you about, which was, I mean, you do oh what's the term when you oh yeah you have to suspend your disbelief a little bit because like, you know like there's all these human objects that she finds and like she's like they, they don't know what a, what a fork is or whatever, right. but when you look at like the underwater world that they exist in like. I mean, of course it's human coded. Like that—that's—that's yeah. that's how we—that's how you're gonna make sense of like a functioning mermaid society because you know they have. I'm sure if you look at the frames, they have bowls. Hell, they might even have forks in it Actually, in the movie. I mean, maybe 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 they were detail cognizant, but like you know, like th- it is like a functioning metropolis right. under the sea, right? On that note, though. Let's just, if we think about the, the point of forks for a second, why we use forks. Why do we use forks? The only thing stopping us from just using our hands, for the, besides class and style and pizzazz and whatnot, is... Class? Okay, funny that you say class, because I do think that, like, class has certain connotations with, like, utensils that we use, the number of utensils that we use, how we eat food. People eating food with their hands is seen as primitive, but it, but it's... But it's totally invented. Anyways, we can put a pin in that. Do you that. think that's why rich people have like four or five forks? I for think everything? so. Like, is it a d- dessert fork or is it a spoon? I don't know. I don't know, but the, yeah, like the the way when you go to fine dining, you know, like yeah. you have like eight different kinds of spoons, oh, yeah. you know, we for different to, things. And when I worked in fine dining, we had to, we learned how to set yeah, the yeah. tables, and it was so precise, and it was it was well, I mean, the less precise side of it is knife on this side, fork on this side, knife facing inward. Yeah. Oh, um, wow, really? Like, even the, the turn of the knife? Oh, every the turn of everything mattered. I don't know if it was inward or outward. I, was, I wasn't very yeah. good at the, the serving part of my job. Um, but, yeah, there's, like, four f- forks, and you had to know what they were, were all for and which yeah. one went in which position, which order you brought them out. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Spoons as well. Um, well, I, I also feel like there's an element to, like, being served too right because somebody has to like set that up for you and somebody has to take away the forks too so like there's like embedded in that is the assumption that somebody is there to serve you so but at the same time like the only real application outside of class or socially constructed Mm -hmm. things that Mm -hmm. i can think of is if food is hot right Hmm. picking up food that's hot with a fork i don't think that stops people Actually, it doesn't I think that people, people like but... half the world eats hot food with their hands. That's true. You know, but anyways, go on. Let's say it's like really hot because like most of the time, I mean, like I use a fork yeah. like a lot for hot food. But then so. my little nitpicky point and criticism is food, food's not going to be hot under the ocean. What is food like under the ocean? That's the thing, too. It's like, how do right. <laughs> what do they eat? Where do you draw the they line? They look exactly like humans. <laughs> well, like because she's friends with fish, no? She is friends with fish. What else do you eat? Like, because, I mean, unless you're you're a herbivore. Or maybe they're all vegetarians. Maybe they're all vegetarians. I feel like that's just not a very... Yeah, because flounder's her best friend. Flounder's her best friend? Yeah. Is that the yellow and blue one? Yeah. Oh. I always he's hated like, that guy. What? He's so chummy and cute. He looks so... He looks like a punk. <laughs> no, he's so sweet. Looks like a little He's chump. a bestie. Okay. I'll take your word for it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of hard to criticize kids' movies. 
like I don't think they're thinking about it too seriously. When I was a little kid, yeah. I wasn't like, well, on an anthropological level, that doesn't make any sense. I was just like, oh, you know, funny car is talking or like, yeah, like big blue monster. No, exactly, exactly. But it, I mean, it is interesting that they chose a fork as the human coded object because that's kind of like the turning point where um yeah she's like i'm gonna go like i'm gonna go become a human and then they're like they're like mesmerized by this like beautiful shiny thing and like they call it i don't know the dingle hover like it's a huge like it's kind of a moment you know um don't you think it would have been better if they chose like a shoe like something they would just never use under the ocean or is that that's a great too similar to other disney movies like if, if that that's very reminiscent oh, of cinderella. cinderella oh i wonder but maybe it would be within their interest to do that so they like create little through lines yeah. throughout their movies well, they have like, oh those, i should watch cinderella they have a lot of um like callbacks and 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 connections between their movie really they do I, it's either disney or pixar um mm. have they kind of strung a lot of their movies together and there's one um there's one movie and in the background they have hidden a little drawing of a scullion Mike from Monsters Inc. Um, oh yeah, like little Easter eggs. Yeah, they have the little Easter eggs connecting to their other yeah. other movies. Um, so it wouldn't be crazy, but it might be a little too in their face if it's like the, she pulls out Cinderella's slipper and she's like, "Look, something." Which, like, by the way, I I feel like we've talked about this before, but like, if you really step back and think about the efficacy of that, like some random like woman loses her shoe which is a glass shoe first of all and then guy runs out sees the shoe and he's like all right round up every single woman in this town and show me your feet show me show me your bare feet and then (laughs) he's like do you remember what she what color was her hair what 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 dress was she wearing no 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 no. show me the feet (laughs) this will only fit on one one woman's foot and I need to know who it is. Yeah. Do you have you heard the original Cinderella story? It's uh, so dark. Oh my god, yeah. Wait, yeah. can you remind me though? Yeah, so it was uh the parts I remember at least were essentially the same leading up to where he started trying out the shoes and he, he got to the fancy stepmother's house and he's like, Hey, um, I'm looking for this woman. Let me I wanna see all their feet. Um <laughs> and and of course he's a very beautiful man so i've heard and so all of the evil stepsisters actually physically cut off their feet so <gasps> is this like a brothers grim this story? is brothers grim yeah. oh my god so it'll it'll fit into the glass slipper. that's so morbid it's so morbid all of the all of the, the things that glasses. women will do for men in, in for dark. love oh. for lust disgusting yeah you you the cut off your ability feet. to walk for the ch- the mere chance you of a think man. If you, if you slide a bloody lump into a glass slipper, he's gonna be like something's off. You would think. You would think. You you would think. Yeah. But I don't I don't know what his standards are. <laughs> <laughs> but they are ugly. Yeah. They're meant to be ugly stepsisters. I think so. Yeah. Anyways, um, yeah. Next fork topic. Next fork topic. Actually, is a really obvious one, which is. The, the saying of having a fork in a road fork in a road yeah when you see that do you see that in a in a individual way as in life choices or fork in a road as in like I don't know in a, in a more literal way like you literally have two paths you can take or you kind of have two mental ways of thinking and two approaches you can take to life okay I will say I have never um I've always I've always thought of this in the more physical geographical sense where I'm like I'm just walking in the forest and I'm like oh there's a fork in the road I ne I've never you know went faced with a life decision I've never thought of using that and I think it's because a lot of the times it feels like a binary choice it feels like there's only two options because that's the whole point behind the metaphor which is you have to choose one way. Right. But, like, I, I feel like in my life, it hasn't... I don't know. I, I, I just... I don't think that I've, I've had... I've felt like I had to choose between one way or the other. Right. And then, like, you can't go back. I don't know. I just... 
I feel like I map things out in my head and things are more like a, a web of things and you know um potential pathways and connections and stuff yeah to me that's how i would see it because i i, I think that binaries are a very invented mental frame that oh. we have for, for some reason well i'd say it's, we, a, it's the easiest option right it's saying you do this or you do that and it's yes, our brains say but it's so odd because everything there are so many binaries. There are just so many binaries and it's kind of like, oh, it's it's either this way or that way. Even when you're like talking to a friend, like you'll often kind of, you know, you might like appeal to their side and then, but on the other side, but on the other hand, it's it's always, it's, it's always just like two sides of things. But I, I just don't, I think that's so limiting, you know? What if we think of a fork in a road as an actual fork? Because forks don't have two prongs. There are how many prongs? Four. 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 There are four. Yeah. I mean, I but find the, it funny to think about like an actual like fork stabbed into the. I in my mind, it's very cartoonish. But whenever whenever I hear the idiom like oh yeah fork in a road, I always imagine a huge fork like like larger than life hmm. size fork like stabbed into the ground kind right. of as like a statue. I don't know. That, I imagine being on like a foresty path and you have you have the the left you can take the left side or the right side and the left side is like this green grassy meadow and it's like the super easy path and the simple path but oh. but it's it, in my mind it doesn't necessarily lead somewhere nicer or <gasps> you, have, you have the the right path which is kind of like the darky shadowy mm-hmm. depths of the forest but p- potentially far more rewarding and i don't know where that that idea of reward comes in but you know okay i have so many thoughts on this mm-hmm. first of all Dorothy in Wizard of Oz. I feel like there's such a fork in the road moment for her too. I don't really remember, but there's like, you know, the path or whatever. Okay, second thought. I, my memory is failing me. Also, that was the first colorized movie, I think. I think so, yeah. Yeah, which is crazy. It's um, really it's horrible. A, they it, treated her horribly though. Julia Garner. Julia Garner her is horribly? that her name? The actor? No, Julia Garner is new. Or whoever, the actress of, yeah. of um, Dorothy. Yeah. I think there's some history. They just treated her awful. They barely paid oh, her. Oh, really? And there, it's had some long-lasting effects on her. Um, oh, oh, I'm not going to make any assumptions of... on what happened to yeah, her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it was like it was terrible. It was bad. It was bad. I mean, it's an older movie. Like I, you know, yeah. I feel oh, like it's people are thirties. I want to say forties. Yeah. And like, yeah, being a a woman <laughs> yeah. back then, probably not. Not the easiest. Probably thing. not great. But um, oh. Oh, where was I going with this? Um, you had a second, second yeah. thought. With... Oh, I remember. Okay, so the idea, like, there's this notion that, so the way you set it up, there's this lovely green, you know, exciting, looks very happy kind of path, and then there's, like, the darker path. It's interesting that for some reason we have an association with depravity 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 being depraved being um you know suffering um hardship how that is a prerequisite to deeper meaning or um enlightenment or good art you know like th- there's kind of an association with like the tortured artist or like or you have to like go through like you know the trials and tribulations of this and that and then this will what kind of you know what kind of effect do you think struggle like intense emotion in general yeah. really but especially struggle and and kind of pain what kind of effect do you think that has on artists do you think art is is made yeah. deeper by by i mean this is the whole thing like <sighs> I don't know. I think this is uh, it, it, this is a bit this is a very nuanced conversation. Yeah. So we might have to like choose specific examples because making broad strokes arguments well, like this of, is difficult. But uh, I think of yeah. in personal cases, one yeah. of my one of my closest friends has been playing piano for probably about sixteen years, um, and he's he's not a very emotion oriented person. Mm-hmm. He's not someone who's had a lot of struggle in his life. very luckily um but he's found that's that's really limited his ability to write and compose his own pieces 
because he doesn't have a lot of emotion to base off in general. Really? Yeah, and and he knows all of the theory and he knows it down to a T. But how does he not have any emotion? Because emotion is well, not just he sadness. Still, he has emotion, but like no. that, he's not he's not someone who's very fueled by emotion. He's a very logical mm-hmm. thinker, and mm-hmm. and even in hard times in his life, it hasn't necessarily been in a very a very emotional thing. Mm. Um, so he, he kind of he has a harder time with the the composing because it's it's kind of it's following it to a T. And I mean, if you think about writing a book, if you just write a book and you follow how you should write and you just mm-hmm. write like mm-hmm. according to the rules of writing, yeah. it's gonna be a bland book. Yeah. But if you put your own personality and your own emotion and it's it it shows. And the two the two kind of professional examples I can think of, or at least let's just break it down to one. Someone I know you like, um, Jeff Buckley is a good example of this. Mm. It's a very notably troubled person hmm. and I think that the kind of emotion of it and the, the pain of it shows in his songwriting and his mm-hmm. singing and his playing um, so I think when there is genuine emotion behind a piece of art it's easier to tell at least through most mediums um, mm. and I think I mean it's a whole different conversation about the, the weight of emotions and what kind of what shows more and what has more effect on you but I think if you just write a piece of music according to theory and how it should sound, it'll sound good, but that's because it's supposed yeah. to. It's not going to be anything special. Well, I would say that, like, e- they're two separate things. Like, I, I think that if you're writing something to the T, like textbook example, yeah. it doesn't really matter whether there's emotion or not in it because that's, like, that's just a, that's just a style of... Do, of doing things so sure. I, I i think that to set it up as if they're two opposite things two sides of the same coin or whatever is not two sides of the same coin as as it's either this or that i don't think that's true because i think that you probably could have a case where something is a textbook example that is emotional or you could have an emotion or you could have like a the opposite i think you know, it could so, be but it could be a balance um it could be because I, I don't know that you can have something that's perfectly textbook, like to the T, and still emotional. I think it, I think it's possible. I think it kind of there there's a line between something being personal and from the heart, and something being the way it's supposed to be. And it's, well, okay, it's possible, the, but the the other thing I want to disentangle is being from the heart yeah. and and that necessarily being associated with struggle because I, I I don't I don't necessarily think that that's true. I think that as humans we are wells of emotion and we experience so many different kinds of emotion we don't we don't even have the right words for it like we spend our whole lives trying to explain ourselves and be understood by others and um yeah i don't know so i'd like to think that everybody has like a deeply rich internal life you know and i don't necessarily think that you need to have like a tragic upbringing in order to you know have emotions or make good art um this is not to say that there have been countless examples of the tortured artist you know and 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 many times that that does make for a really emotional moving um profoundly life-changing pieces of music and art and that's that's very true but i i don't necessarily think that we need to hold that as a standard um and this gets into like kind of like for example think about a lot of um you know like so like black music and this is like (laughs) it's not like a great term because there's countless genres but within a lot of like let's say take hip-hop for example rap a big way that people authenticate themselves within the genre is via struggle and via talking about oppression and this is something that makes the genre incredibly powerful. Yeah. Um, but to hold every artist to that standard and say, you don't make good music unless you, you know, talk about X, Y, Z, I think is a very limiting thing. Yeah. So, you know, I think it, I think that, um, again, it's better to talk about case examples because I don't want to make any broad claims, but I do think that, like, um, yeah so yes and no but right. but not all the time i guess i would say there there are exceptions i mean if you look at like 
I guess my my area of focus with this is is more classical because I think mm. that's more theory driven. If mm-hmm, you look at mm-hmm. something like rap or jazz, there's more. Um, I mean, I would say there's more freedom and expression in those fields. At least typically, it's not that there can't be more in classical music. No, in in rap and jazz. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, and interesting, interesting. And, and I think claim. with with classical, there's there's more emphasis on theory because it's kind of all there is all you're hearing oh, is God. the instrument yeah and, and that has extended that the, the vice grip that cla- western classical music theory has over our understanding of music and yeah. what good music is is so strong but that's a discussion for another time, time i would say most people i meet don't love classical i, yes. I didn't realize that until yes. like very late into life that a lot of people just don't enjoy it which mm-hmm, is fine mm-hmm. um but i think you can also go too far the other way i, I personally like free jazz which really? I think is a, a controversial flex. <laughs> um, but I know free, j- free jazz can be a very difficult thing to listen to for a lot of people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, even jazz on its own, um, because it, it is breaking out of the constraints of what should, according to theory, sound good. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And it's kind yes. of it's it, the willingness to accept that this is something that isn't going to sound good in the typical way, but that doesn't mm. mean it doesn't have like sound good at all so why do you think you like it because objectively free jazz can be very difficult for our brains to hear like what when you listen to it what do you like i like i like the isolation of it i like hearing each individual role played it's it's Mm. different i think this is an effect you get sorry bringing it back to classical for a second if you're just listening to classical at least for me i hear the full piece and I just hear the full piece. Right. When I'm sitting in an orchestra hall listening to a symphony, there's this amazing effect where you, you can look at a section of the orchestra and it will mm-hmm. isolate the sound without mm-hmm. any effort. That part of the orchestra yeah. gets isolated and you can hear the strings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you can hear yeah. the percussion and then you can hear any part that you, you really focus on. Um, and with free jazz, that shows a lot more, even in digital recording, because every instrument has its moment and every instrument's doing its thing. And you can really focus on it. I think that's such an interesting thing because it's not, it's just, it's every instrument working together. Hmm. Not, not, I don't know. It, it's in both cases, they're working for a common cause and the common cause is the music, but it's just such different approaches because it's every piece working together for that common cause versus every piece kind of like fighting for that common cause. And it's, it's like a very interesting thing to listen to. And I'm someone who loves jazz in general. Um, but I would say I wouldn't listen to free jazz to like, wind down and yeah. listen to classical to wind down because it's very easy to listen to I, would, I don't think free jazz is easy to listen to I think it, it can take some focus and it takes attention um, would you like free jazz if you weren't picking out the individual elements like because it, I totally get how that's a, such an interesting listening experience and a very attentive one like you, you don't just you're not just listening to it like you would background music you, you, you enjoy the isolation of certain sounds and patterns would you do you still enjoy it if you are just listening to it as a as a whole i don't think i could i think it it sounds like a a jumbled mess and do you think it's meant to be listened to as a whole i don't think it's meant to be listened to any specific way i don't think music Mm. in general oh good point is meant in any specific way and i mean artists will sometimes say listen to it this way paintings Mm. for example Mm -hmm. um this is this is a big case in the in the study of aesthetics is uh in situ i don't know how Mm -hmm, you how you mm -hmm. pronounce it but uh pieces that are meant to be observed in situ in certain places Hmm, and there's um there's certain paintings that are designed to to be seen when the light is hitting it from a certain angle (gasps) or or it's not the same effect unless you see it in person because Mm -hmm. it's so big or it's so small or or looking at it from a certain angle gives you a certain effect while looking Mm. at it from a different angle gives you a different effect um and those you can argue are designed to be seen in a specific way. Hmm. Um, but I think when it comes to music, there is maybe the way that it's designed to be listened to, but everyone listens to music in their own way and you pick out different things. And I think as you change as a person as well, you hear music differently. I've listened to some of my favorite songs and, and picked out little things in the background that I have never heard before. Yeah. It's just, you can can listen to things in different ways and pick out different parts of it and the way you kind of frame what you're listening to drastically changes 
the experience you have with the music. Yes, that's such a good point. And that's I think it's a very, it's a very nitpicky and niche yeah. framing of free jazz to enjoy. It's a very difficult thing to listen to, at least for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. But when I can find that perspective and I can find the way of listening to it that that I feel is meant for it and that that really works for me, then I think it's amazing because you you see this jumbled mess mm-hmm. of colors and sounds and all these things you, know, you pick out each color and realize every component that's going into it mm. and every component doing well on its own but kind of all jumbled together I think it's, I mean I think it's beautiful I love that yeah. I love that yeah. yeah I found this this was my um, my introduction to philosophy as a topic hmm. um, started probably a little later than it should have um, with this idea of a painting, and I was asked by some teachers, probably an English teacher. Was this in high school? Um, this was in late middle school. Oh, middle school. Yeah. <laughs> no way. And I was asked to visualize what death would be like, which is a very depressing question yeah. to ask in grade eight. But um, we were asked to visualize what what death would look like, mm. and the way I kind of uh, imagined it was. Um, a painting, like a painting mm-hmm. of jumbled lines and colors and really? splats of color all over. Wow. And and the way I kind of described my visualization was every stroke of color, every every paintbrush, everything on the the canvas is a life. And as you as you leave your stroke on the canvas, you're you you're gonna die eventually. Sorry if that's freaking news <laughs> to anyone. Um, but you leave your mark for the people to come after. And that's how I feel is, is death works. You die, but you're not just gone. You're still, your imprint is left on the canvas. Mm. And then whoever comes after you is going to be building on that. And so eventually life just becomes this jumbled mess of colors and paintings and, and all these paint strokes. But it's not, it's not forgetting the paint strokes that came before. It's just those are the foundation for the ones that come after. Hmm. And I was like, that's cool. You were a very precocious grade 8 student. I was a very, I was very, <laughs> this was my, these were my stoic years. So Your stoic years. stoic years. That's when I started to get into philosophy and listen to like, I, that's, I started listening to Alan Watts after that. And I was like, oh, I was everybody's, everybody's gateway drug. Oh, he is a gateway drug. You know, that's interesting. That's, I, I was so, so far away from philosophy. Actually, that's not true. I mean, I was a very philosophical person. Yeah. Um, but I never did any strictly philosophical stuff. But, you know, something that I think about, which is a similar idea to the painting, but it's, it's more of a present thing, which is like, when I talk to you, and especially if I get to know you, for example, like you get to know somebody really well, and you actually like, give yourself to them in a way, or at least you open yourself up for them. Like, I like to think that part of me... Oh, sorry. Sorry for the noises, everyone. Um, give me a second. I'm just going to turn my thing on. Um, I'd like to think that I live on in other people. Oh, absolutely. You know? Like, so in a, in a way, it's like... Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not sure who, who said this. Yeah. Um, keep bringing up information without backing up that's okay um but there's the famous quote of of you don't die until your name is spoken for the last time oh god that's when you truly die um is what you mentioned which is a scary thought it's a really scary but i I don't think it's as simple as someone says your name for the last time and then that's that i think the idea is that you influence people and you have an influence over life and that's kind of and like we're made up of like every little interaction every little person that we we've this, like, met you know? crazy so, like, mosaic of yeah, yeah, yeah. every interaction and experience and person exactly. we've had in our lives exactly and that's just that's how it's gonna go and yeah. then any any we're part of countless people's mosaics yeah. on their own um and we're gonna be part of countless more yeah and then that person that mosaic is gonna spread to someone else so uh, we never truly die in that regard because yeah. our influence is always there um yeah just kind of depends how you want that influence to be shown I'm gonna turn us away from the topic of death because right. I, I don't I don't want to get too deep into it. I think Fair it's enough. a discussion for another time. Um, 
but yeah, there was um back to forks. Back to forks, everybody. <laughs> but um actually on the topic of forks though, there was right before this we were really briefly discussing this um fork in the road Russian myth, which I tried to do some googling for and I couldn't find it. The only instance of it, well, I, I didn't I, I did not look that deeply. I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure it's out there, and I'm sure there's probably, like, hundreds of pages in Russian, but it's this folktale where this Russian knight, like, arrives to a fork in the road, and then I, I can't remember exactly he, he has to what choose he says. between two paths, one where yeah. he loses his head. And, and, a, and then he sees, an, in a, like, a, a standing rock, and it says, if you ride to the left, you will lose your horse. If you ride to the right, you'll lose your head. What's your what's your make of this? I think the the differentiation I'm trying to draw there is you either you lose. This is this is me jumping to conclusions and assigning meaning. Jump that it away. Need to be. Um, I think it's you you to say you lose your head is to to lose sensibility or you oh, can, or you great. lose. Oh great! You're all you're interpreting yeah. it in a more. Or um, you lose your yeah. horse, which is means of transportation. You lose your physical mm-hmm. sense or you mm-hmm. lose your mm-hmm. mental sense. Mm-hmm. And so, great if, point. If we're looking at at practical application of this, you can you can pursue a very physical hedonistic life you can you can have the means to get where you want to go mm. and do what you want to do but you're not going to have the mind and the sensibility and the the i guess like innerness of it all but if you if you keep your head and you lose your means you're you're staying within yourself you're keeping yourself but you don't necessarily have the means to go where you want to go that doesn't matter because you still have your head you still your head's still screwed on you can still do your thinking and your your feeling and everything like that if I had to guess, that's what I would say it is. You can you can give up your head and your sensibility and get where you want to go, or you can choose not to go where you necessarily want to go, but you'll still have all of yourself with you. What do you think? Or, wait, so you can give up where you want to go. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, with the horse. Yeah, yeah, okay, I'm totally At following. least I'm talking about, like, yeah, um, yeah, the yeah. traditional yeah. dream, quote-unquote, of... Yeah. Of working hard, making money. Well, yeah, I was, I was thinking like, <laughs> you could, you can interpret it in wildly varying, oh, yeah. you know, instances where you know, like there, there's the, the, the corporate question of yeah. like, oh, you know, do I, do I sell my soul yeah. and quote unquote you know, American do, dream? Yeah, 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 exactly. Or, yeah, but may, maybe it was more literal for this guy. <laughs> maybe, maybe he had to choose. Is this, does it have anything to do with the headless horseman? I don't know, but he is on horse. <laughs> it's it's better than the horseless headsman, I think. The the horseless. Oh, <laughs> well done. So we know which way he went. Um, let me think about that. Let me think about that. Um, I feel like my my first inst- my first instinct would be like, I definitely want a clear mind. Right. Like I definitely want to feel like grounded in in my in myself. I, that's very important. But at the same time, like I mean, I am somebody who's physically mobile, and I, I'm thinking about this in a more literal sense. But like, you know, I do. I, I have so much privilege because of that. The world is set up for me. Um, and yeah, I mean, I. Oh, yeah. I do think there is an interesting connotation, and this is what we were talking about before with the fork in the road, is the the need to choose. He, oh, he can't yeah. just be like, okay, I'll turn Let's around go back. and I'll yeah. keep my head and my horse. Yeah. That's for both worlds. Um, it's it's this need for a choice. You have to choose one of the two. If you're going to pro- progress in life, if you're going to keep going in life, you have to choose, well, however you want to frame it. In, in my case, you have to choose your your feeling and your inner sense or you have to choose success and destination mm-hmm, and progress mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call it but you, it's a choice you have to make yeah well <laughs> I could launch into like oh I don't know if I want to launch into a whole discussion about you know what's what's expected of me and everything I feel like that's a little too personal for this podcast but um, yeah all to say I think there's a certain privilege to be to being able to choose yeah you know yes i i want a nice life for myself i i want to live a fulfilled and meaningful life that's something our generation very like values a lot more 
takes for granted for sure but i think also values a lot more like we 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 actually might actually forego the paycheck in order to have more hours in the week and you know what i mean so um so i think that is an interesting move that our generation is making but also again just being aware that that is that is a choice that very select few individuals can make because of the financial privileges afforded to like to be able to make that choice so anyways we won't get into the nitty-gritty of that but an interesting um idea of how differently people define success oh great success has branched out from how it used to be defined at least my understanding of it Mm. and i think success used to just be purely job related or money related Mm. yeah true Um, but I think I think everyone will find success in different things. It could be in in personal status. It could be in personal yeah. accomplishment. It could be yeah. in relationship. It could be great point in work yeah. or in money. It could even be like spiritual fulfillment. Yeah, yeah, you it, know, it's like, just self improvement. Yeah. everyone has very different understandings of success, and yes. I think it's it's always been the case to some regard, but there it's less societally pushed it's still society it is, pushed I but. would say it is becoming increasingly decoupled from yeah. jobs you have and to have money. a nice house and a nice car yes and... like I would say that it is like decoupling from that so like I think that people are feeling like they can define success in their own terms yeah which is like I think a really nice development it's what amazing. would you say like it is success to you in an ideal world I think I thought about this a lot and it's kind of tricky because my my idea of success is is kind of nested in other ideas of success. Mm. So for me, I would I would put success in a in a more family re- regard. Mm. I think if mm. I to consider myself successful, I just want to have a really nice family. Nice, yeah. Um, but to to have a nice family, I feel like I need to be able to financially support them to, to oh, a good degree absolutely and to, yeah. to financially support them i need to have a good career yes and to have a good career i have to have a good head we do live and in so a material world yeah kind of, it follows this line of first i have to su- find success in yeah. personal yeah. improvement and then academically yeah. and then follow this regard but i'd say ultimate success for me is in a more family relationship kind of standpoint that's beautiful have that's it. non-monetary <laughs> what success i you? think that's meaningful um i i don't know um that's a good question i think family is also very important to me um yeah just like caring for the people in your lives like i I think that is such a it's so undervalued you know um that is real work like it is real work like taking care of your friends taking care of your family um that's really important so yeah i would i would call that um, successful <laughs> and then I would also just say like just trying to be a good person and just trying to like do everything you can to either support community or you know be engaged with the world be engaged with like the struggles like do everything you can to like I don't know find find where you fit into things you know I, I, I don't love the idea of charity um it's i think it's more about finding yeah finding where your place is in a very genuine solidarity sense and doing that and having that be a lifelong thing i think that's really always been really really important to me um yeah and then i mean on a more selfish level but maybe it's not so selfish i don't know just feeling some kind of fulfillment feeling like i'm doing something important like i don't think that's selfish you know yeah Yeah, so i mean it is kind of important like i i am all i have you know and you're always gonna have you yeah exactly so some level of fulfillment and some level of external i don't know no that's not that's not a good way to put it but yeah, I don't know. Something like that. Yeah. I need to think about this more. <laughs> it's not a simple question. It's not <laughs> no, but that's like, I, I think that's what's coming to my head first. Yeah. Anyways. Um, yeah. On that note, I think we should probably close the episode. Call it a night. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much, listeners, for... <laughs> 
listeners, um, being going out on a limb yeah. and and put using the plural. At least two of them. At so least okay. two. <laughs> I am seeing forklifts written on your oh, your little. Piece did you of paper. want to say something about forklifts? Not at all. But. I'm just curious where that would have gone. I don't know. I wanted to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, I do not have a single thought on forklifts. Oh, I probably do, but it would it would launch into so many. I, the first thing that came into my head was like workplace injuries at yeah. warehouses oh, fair and enough. how like that work is just so brutal. Yeah. But that, that, that's a big discussion. You know what? For another episode. <laughs> oh, and then how forklifts, like my bed frame is made of wood wood pallets oh, and yeah. that's you know yeah. they're designed for forklifts but the last thing i'll say just to wrap up our fork episode the fork, um yeah. <laughs> actually i just want to mention if you've made it this far into the podcast it, like yes the first episode is about forks but it won't be about forks forever it will be about other objects the last thing i'll say is one of the worst feelings i would say is realizing that you just got forked in chess which is when somebody positions a piece such that you're gonna lose one of two pieces it's a because of two pieces at the same yes time. like and this often happens with the horse sorry i call it the horse what it, what's the name for it actually knight. the knight yeah. yeah um so much knight talk today so much knight talk. where the knight like often so 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 often the knight forks the bishop and the fucking rook. Oh, sorry. I don't know if I'm allowed to sw- swear on this podcast. But, um, God, it's such an awful feeling. You're like, damn, I love those pieces. Yeah, really and, and that was just too easy. But when you do it, it's such a good feeling. Oh, but when you're on the other end, oof. Yeah. It's the best feeling ever. Yeah. For every good feeling, there's a equally bad feeling. That's oh, not even no. close to true. It's so far from That's true. That's such a binary. I know. And so off. <laughs> I don't agree with that in the slightest. <laughs> I don't agree with that. No, it was a terrible, terrible yeah. thing to say. Who said that? Who said? Who? Who? Who's in this room? <laughs> Anyways, um, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I don't... Uh, we're hoping to do more, but yeah. you can follow along for the journey with us, and I, I hope that you enjoy listening. Yeah. Goodbye now. Goodbye now. Goodbye. <laughs> I'll see you later. Goodbye. Have a good night. Stay safe. Goodbye. Goodbye now. Go on. Get out of here. Goodbye.